0: Powered through the Alaska Airlines studios. This this is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app.
1: Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross.
2: Here we go now. Joining us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline, Seattle Times Seahawks reporter Bob Kondota. Bob, how's it going?
1: Good. How
2: are you guys doing? Uh, we're great. We're just talking about uh, a few potential hires for the Seahawks. Now we've heard Leslie Frazier will be hired as assistant head coach. Can you tell me, if if possible, the latest you're hearing about that? I feel like there hasn't been anything since the initial report
1: yeah i mean it's going to happen um sources have confirmed it'll happen i the seahawks have never typically like immediately announced you know when they hire an assistant they kind of often have waited to do it all at once that obviously was under pete so i guess i don't know for sure what they're going to do here but i don't think they're going to make big announcements necessarily about all these guys as they come you know they might wait until they have until they have kind of a a whole bunch to kind of say at once to talk about
3: bob um I the I guess the potential to hire Fraser. You said it's going to happen, so let's call him Coach. Okay, Coach Fraser. Yeah, um, yeah, no,
1: it's good. yeah, no, it's 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 uh, yeah, everything I understand. It's going to happen, so
3: yeah. I, I like the move because um Stacy and I felt that um Mike could use like some some veteran leadership, not actually leadership, but just some guidance in in certain situations. But then I also look at Leslie Frazier and I go. Man, like he's been overlooked to be a head coach several times. He's been in this position before as an assistant head coach. He's been a coordinator. Uh, this is speculation. Do, do you think that he's kind of just settled into the role that the NFL is forced him to be? i like, look, you're probably not going to be a head coach again. Just go ahead and help the next generation be as great as you've made some of these defenses.
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, he I mean he took this year off, so he didn't coach this year and he's sixty four, so there's just sort of the reality there. I went back and read a you know, an interview he did in May where he talked about that and just said, you know, at my age that kinda just starts to happen, you know, but um, you know, people kinda want younger coaches a lot of times and uh uh you know, so I think in this case I so I think, you know, he did do a couple of interviews for head coaches. Head coaching, I think the Raiders and the Chargers um, each this time around, and obviously once you know once they were all filled, I think he knew. Obviously, he knew once every head coaching job was filled. I mean, this all happened on Friday, so um, by that point, all the head coaching jobs uh, positions have been filled. So at that point, he's not getting one this year. So if you're 64 and you haven't worked for a year, you probably you know if you want to keep coaching, you probably better better take uh, take a job that you can get this year and kind of show that you still do want to do it. So um, you know he's uh, you know being assistant head coach is uh, you know c- uh, can be a significant position obviously in this case with, with kind of a younger head coach but he and McDonald also have a have what sounds like a pretty t- a really close relationship you know they've only only really worked together the one year but it sounds like they did work together uh, pretty tightly that year in Baltimore kind of putting uh, helping put together the secondary and things like that there so um, you know it sounds like that's a that's a situation where uh, Fraser will feel like he's really comfortable coming in and you know can make a significant contribution to the team
2: let's jump to the offensive side of things offensive coordinator a couple different names linked uh, what are you hearing and, and what names most intrigue you in that search?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's really only the two at the moment that we know of that are not, um, you know, that can still be possibilities, and that's Ryan Grubb, the uh, you know was here at Washington, obviously the last couple of years, and, and is now set to uh, follow Kalen DeBoer down to Alabama, and then Tanner Engstrand, Engstrand, who is the uh, passing game coordinator with the Lions and by all accounts he was going to just become the offensive coordinator of the lions if ben johnson had left for head coaching job which was, which was sort of what everybody thought was going to happen um but then that did not so um it, so you know it could happen now that they lose uh Engstrand to an offensive coordinator job somewhere um and and potentially to seattle seattle obviously is uh you know enamored by that offense they they obviously uh, talked to johnson a couple times so they got a little bit of a feel of that and um, you know, so those are the two that we know of, um, but, you know, I, I, I do think they were, uh, interested in talking to Mike Kafka as well, but for now the giants are, are, uh, are taking advantage of the NFL rules as they're allowed to do and, uh, and block, uh, and block Seattle's attempt to hire him for that job, which you can do if it's considered a lateral, um, if the job is considered a lateral move, which in this case, since he is, he was the play caller last year, um, essentially anything short of being a head coach is going to be a, a considered a lateral move.
3: Bob, in uh, your experiences, is there like a um, a timeline that new head coaches try to uh, to abide by when it comes to filling out their roster? or Is it just so random and and contingent on who's available and and just communication?
1: Um, I think you want to have it done in time for the combine for sure I think when you go to the combine you know all the assistants always go to that typically anyway I know some teams have have started not sending everybody or not sending as many um, to the combine feeling like they can get the information they need from that and look at it later but but it's historically it's always been that you know almost everybody goes to the combine and so you know if you're the running backs coach then you sit in on all the interviews with with running backs and things like that at the combine to start to get a feel of that so So, so, you know, I think that's a general one is usually you want to have your your coaching staff kind of all in place by that. And and the combine this year, I think, starts on February 26th or 7th or whatever. Um, But it's that last week of February kind of leaking into the first weekend of March there. Um, So, you know, I think that's, you know, probably the sooner the better, obviously, but I, I, but I think that would be something of a deadline to kind of have everything filled by then.
2: Hey, uh, we were talking about some personnel uh, moves that uh, McDonald is going to need to make, and one of the big ones is uh, you really need to find an inside linebacker. Like, just roster one would be a good place to start. Do you anticipate that they'll bring back Jordan Brooks?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I mean, they really don't have. They have almost literally nobody. I mean, like even John Ratigan is not on the roster right now. So, um, uh, along with Bobby and, and Bobby and Jordan Brooks, obviously, and Devin Bush was a free agent as well. So, or can be a free agent also. So, um, essentially, everybody who played inside linebacker for him this year is not under contract. Um, uh, I don't know. That's a great question. I, you know, I think that's the kind of thing. I think they will try to get as close as they can to filling out a lot of their staff before they then really kind of tackle uh, free agency. The free agency period starts, I think, this year, March 13th. Um, so March 11th, sort of the, uh, um, you know, the, the the legal tampering period. So I think they'll want to try to have a good sense by then. Um, you know, the Seahawks are – depending on, I I think there's some things that will happen between now and then. And so we'll know, we'll have a much better idea of what their cap situation is going to be in a few weeks. Um, But reading it at the moment, you know, they don't have a ton of flexibility unless they make some moves, which is why everybody anticipates they will make some moves. Um, But if they don't, you know, that might put them in a little bit of of a position of wanting to kind of assess what the market is for these guys before they commit to anything. And that's another thing that the combine tends to be really valuable for is, uh, um, you know, you, you hear John Schneider say that all the time that that's where where uh, you know GMS and and agents start to get a real sense of what the market is going to be at at each position and for specific players at those positions heading into free agency. And so that's why you often see kind of a flurry of free agent signings um, of teams of, you know, you can always sign your own guy, obviously. So a lot of times that's why you kind of see a flurry there that first, that first week of March or whatever leading into that, because that's when they typically get a much better view of the market. So, you know, I think, I think in general, they'd like to have him back for sure. I think he's a good player that they'd like to have around, but it it always comes down to sort of, you know, what the market value is and and how much are you going to have to pay to get him?
3: Bob, when you look at the Seahawks roster right now, um, other than linebacker, I, I think everyone looks at that position and, and says, "Look, you, you got to figure out what you're going to do in, in that situation." I look at uh, all other positions and go, "They're pretty solid." Um, what do you think? Uh, again, other than linebacker, is a position that you would go for if um, if you were the GM?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it will be really interesting to. Um, obviously this was a roster put together with Pete Carroll having a significant say in what they did. And so now this is the first time in a long time we have somebody that, you know, knew that's going to have a really significant say in what they do. And so it's, it's going to be a little bit harder, I think to read, um, you know, typically I think you can get a sense with Pete of some things and, you know, Pete tended to be pretty loyal to players and, and you know that, that if he if it was someone he wanted back, they tended to try to get him back, and and all of that. And and uh, you know, but now you have a, a um, you know McDonald obviously coming in with a defensive background, and maybe he'll look at, look at things a little bit differently and be like, you know, maybe that guy doesn't fit as well with what I want to do. Um, so it will be interesting to, to to see that. So there are some spots. You know, you've got two very highly paid safeties. Uh, you know, that could they could give you a lot of salary cap wiggle room if you did something there. Um, you know, there's a few other a few other guys like that on the roster, so. Uh, but you're right if they if they did just bring every, everybody back, you know that the list of free agents of their own free agents is not super long and, and and as you pointed out, you know the inside linebacker is the one position- position that's really significant. Leonard Williams is sort of the other number one guy they 're going to have to make a decision on who's a free agent of, of what they want to do there, and I think that's another one that I think though each side will probably want to get a sense of what the market's going to bear before you commit to anything, so i wouldn't anticipate anything happening real soon on that one but um uh, but I do think that's a guy that the Seahawks would like to have back if for nothing else, you know, they did commit, um, quite a bit in terms of draft capital to, to, to get him last year. So you'd probably want to, you know, have not done that just, just, uh, just to get 10 games or whatever it was out of a guy. But, uh, but yeah, um, you know, the offensive line, uh, for sure. You got two young tackles. Uh, You got a little little bit of a decision there to do about center and guard. I think that's the other thing there is is, is what do you want to do there? Do you you sort of commit to the young guys you have? Um, Anthony Bradford and Olu and sort of go that route? Or do you want to attack that a little bit with free agency and get some more veteran guys in the middle there? Um, They might want to do that. And tight ends are kind of an interesting one too. You've got some um, contractual decisions and and some Mm -hmm. free agents there um, to think about as well with Noah Fant and Parkinson each being free agents. But, yeah, there's certainly a lot of a lot of returning parts, and I think that's you know I think you heard John Snyder say that. Uh, I think he's kind of said that at both of his press conferences is that he feels like this is a team that can win now. And so that was part of the, I think the the thought behind the coaching move is that they felt like this team had more potential last year than it ended up, than the results had ended up uh, producing,
2: you know, very related to that last point. And I'm glad you said that, Bob, uh, do you think that this is uh, a front office specifically a John Schneider that's willing to be pretty bold? Because I also picked up on the same thing. It sounds like he thinks this team is much closer than maybe some critics do, um, um, are you still anticipating a team that, uh, you know, tries to be aggressive when possible, whether it's, you know, free agency where they haven't been super aggressive, but trades, the draft, things like that.
1: Um, I mean, I do think they've been pretty aggressive the last few years. I mean, yeah. uh, trading Russell Wilson is a pretty aggressive move, <laughs> um, you know, so uh, I mean, they've made some moves. Maybe it's not always the move that everybody wanted them to make, but they haven't been afraid to, to do things. Um, you know, Draymond, you're right. They haven't had a reputation for really, um making a big splash in terms of signing external free agents. But a lot of that's just because they've always wanted to sign their own guys. And that goes back to what I said about Pete earlier is that I think under Pete, a lot of times, I think he felt like, Hey, yeah, you know, we, we know this, you know, we know Richard Sherman can do what he does. So let's make him the highest paid corner instead of going out and spending that money on someone else. Right. So, I mean, they were always making their own, you know, they made Sherman, the highest paid corner, Earl, the highest paid safety, Bobby, the highest paid middle linebacker, Russell, the second highest paid quarterback ever um, uh, paid Mark. Sean Lynch, a lot of money, uh, um, you know, uh, a lot of those guys. So that's why, you know, during during those years, they just, it was their own guys they were paying. So the last few years, that's changed a little bit. So they've gone out and done some things. Uh, you know, they made Jamal Adams. Uh, you know, when they traded for him, you knew they were going to have to sign up to a huge deal. So that was sort of implicit in the trade was you're going to have to, give him a huge contract in a couple years. So you can kind of call that spending a lot of money on an external free agent. They just sort of did it in a different way. But um, yeah, I, you know, I don't think they've ever not been aggressive. It's just always been, you know, the salary cap doesn't allow you to just do every single thing you want to do. unlike like say in baseball where you can kind of do whatever you want. So, um, I, you know, they, you, you have to play within, within that, within that framework, but for sure, I, I, I think in general, I think this, they, they feel like this is a team that could win now. So I don't see, them wanting to do any sort of teardowns of anything I think they i think if anything you know they feel like um, this is a team that with some with some tweaks to what they have um you know they can get back to i mean they won nine games anyway, so mm-hmm. it's not like you're coming from a foundation of a you know a three or four win team so um you know it, it's the the task here is to get from the nine wins they won the last two years to get up to to eleven or twelve and you know hopefully maybe contending for the division which is sort of you know which is which you have to do to get a uh, to get a home game in the playoffs, which is sort of in general, the ticket to, to doing anything is getting a home game or two in the playoffs and, and then making a playoff run. It's just really hard to do otherwise.
3: Bob, um, the Hawks are on a search for their offensive coordinator. You mentioned of Kafka over there with the Giants. He was blocked. Um, Eric Biennemi has uh, has an opportunity here, right? Uh, Dan Quinn says he's not going to be back. And uh, he doesn't have the greatest pass when it comes to uh, his personal life, I guess. Um do you see the Hawks taking a look at that and do you feel like his past has stopped him from becoming a head coach?
1: Yeah, I I, I you know, I I I'm sure that's probably played a role. Uh I, I think the other thing is always just the when you when you're a coordinator for under a head coach that that's their strength. So he, you know, he was under Andy Reed for all those years. There's always that question of who really is kind of set uh, the offensive call on the plays. And so, you know, the same with like, you know, with Pete Carroll and the defensive coordinators he had was, um, you know, how much of that is Pete and how much of that is, is the coordinators and, and, um, and so there's always that question. So I, 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 think, that's, I think that's a, a follow-up the enemy a little bit as well. And I think that was part of, part of the whole move to Washington was trying to get away from that a little bit and so he could do it kind of without Andy Reid. And then, you know, that ends up lasting only the one year. So I have not heard anything connecting him to Seattle, and I don't know that he has any um, ties with Mike, uh, you know, any real connections with Mike McDonald. But, um, you know, I, I can't imagine it wouldn't be something they'd at least um, kind of consider and look at.
2: Bob's the best. Make sure you're reading his work at seattletimes.com, covering the Seahawks for the Seattle Times. It is Bob Kondota. Thanks so much, Bob. Thanks,
1: Bob. Okay, all right. Thanks for having me, guys. Bye.
2: All right, let's get to four down territory.
1: This, this is four-down territory. Going inside, inside the, the game. game what former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael
0: Bumpus. First
2: down, can you guys believe it's February? The NFL Combine <laughs> is coming up soon, <laughs> oh so my let's gosh. talk college football. Who <laughs> stood out to you during the week of Senior Bowl practices and games?
3: Love the Senior Bowl, man. Glad that they let juniors who have declared for the draft enter the competition as well. But we got to start here in Seattle. Michael Penix made the best decision, I think, in saying, you know what? I'm good on playing the game. I made it six years in college football. Two years in a row, I blew out my knee. Then I go two years and I'm prolific. Nothing else to prove. Just continue to build relationships with these organizations. He did what he's supposed to do. My guy, Goku, Smith-Wade. Two interceptions during that game. One almost back to the house. This is how you make some money. You make plays like this. Maybe you get drafted maybe 10 spots higher than you normally would or maybe a full round. I'm big up Smith-Wade. Spencer Rattler is the weird one to me because if you watch Netflix series QB1, the kid was immature as Hagenhagen high school, like super mature. If I was his head coach, uh, we'd be having lots of words, right? And then he goes to Oklahoma at first and then transfers over to South Carolina and he looked like he matured. I'm listening to him talk to the media and I go, that's why you don't pitch and hold a kid and he makes one or two mistakes or maybe several at a young age and you just say he's no good. I allow them to develop. He looked good. He won the MVP um, and uh McConkie is my favorite receiver in this draft who isn't getting all the hype, right? There's some ballers out there. You got Marvin Harris. You got Roma Dunze who I think is the best receiver in the country but I like true route runners and this is what the kid from Georgia is and also the last kid Jackson Power Johnson out of Oregon the center over there was dominant on that offensive line those are the guys that stuck out during the week of practice and during the game I love the senior bowl can
2: I ask you a random question because you uh, I don't know if it's as someone who just loves football, as someone uh, who was a free agent and you're used to looking at guys all throughout the draft and being like, you never know what this six-rounder, you never know what this undrafted guy could be. Have you ever had a guy where you kind of, you got into his game, whether when he was in college or whether from the Pro Bowl and he actually ended up being a big deal and in the back of your mind, you're like, I was right. Yeah. Who?
3: Reek Woolen. <laughs> I kid you not. That's true. I kid you not. That's true. Bump was
2: the only one I was listening to the draft broadcast to not only uh, say as a possibility, but to know a ton about Rick Wollen.
3: Yeah, Rick Wollen.
2: Yeah, that's a good one. All right. I'm glad you had an answer. I was worried. (laughs) I was like, I'm springing it on him, but it would feel so validating to be like, I'm telling you this guy's special. Conky,
3: that's my next one.
2: Okay, okay. Second down. All right, we just learned a bit more about Leslie Frazier uh, from Bob Condota in terms of what this role will be. And then, obviously, we're going to learn more about Leslie Frazier coming up here when we talk with Steve Tasker. What are you most curious to ask Steve about? And what most, cur- most curious is you? What most intrigues you about <laughs> Leslie?
3: Um, he's been around the block. 64 years old, right? Took a year off last year, but he's been in almost every position. He's been an assistant on NFL roster. He's been a coordinator. He's been a head coach. He's even been an interim head coach, not even the real guy, but the guy who has to finish the season. And what he's done is everywhere he's gone, he's had some type of success. But as of late, when he was a defensive coordinator for the Bills, top five overall defense four times in 2022, 21, 19, and 18 top five when it comes to points allow three times in 22 21 and 19 uh, first against the pass twice in 21 and 19 top five against the run once he's also mentored not mentored but been the assistant head coach to Brad Childress with the Minnesota Vikings Bevel was an OC over there Tony Dungy in 2006 with the Indianapolis Colts and then you got Sean McDermott as well with the, uh, the bills in 2020 to 2022 I just lay all that out to say there isn't anything this man hasn't done he is the perfect addition to this uh, this coaching staff, especially if Mike McDonald was serious about, hey, doing the D.C. thing for a couple years and passing it yeah. off. If Fraser is around, that'd be the perfect guy to pass it off to unless he goes and gets a head coach job somewhere else, which I wouldn't be surprised if he did that.
2: Uh, third down. I love this question. I can't wait. Who's an NFL couple that needs more attention?
3: Yeah, man. You know who the who the hottest couple in the game is right now? Taylor and
2: Travis. Taylor
3: and Travis, right? How about uh, how about KK? KKJ. Oh,
2: oh. Okay. Kyle,
3: Chris, and Juszczyk, Okay. <laughs> All
2: right. KKJ. Give, KKJ.
3: Give them some <laughs> okay, love, okay. man. It's uh one. You got the best fullback in the game in Kyle, and then Wifey's doing her thing, man. She just signed a deal with the NFL, allowing her to use. NFL logos on her puffy jackets. She was low-key doing it anyway, but the NFL said, all right, let's make this official so we don't have to sue you, Christian. We don't want to have to sue you, all right? (laughs) Don't
2: make us do this. (laughs)
3: And apparently um, the Texas told me that she makes more than just puffy jackets, but that's what caught my eye. Like, if I were a jersey guy and threw numbers on me, I would definitely wear one of those jackets. But um, this is a perfect example of uh, just the development of another power couple. I love to see it. Give Kristen some love during the Super Bowl. Flash, yeah, get her on the camera. I know you got... Taylor Swift give Kristen some love she's so too so
2: cute yeah I, I agree and and people are right but a lot of the stuff she does that are not puffer jackets are women's wear so they're tube tops they're little t-shirts and they're all adorable she has little blazers but the puffy coats are where it's at like she has uh, Debo Samuel wearing one of them like she makes a men's version of it so she's got Really cool style. I'm here for it. I love it. She made a puffer vest for Simone Biles. Like, it's just that's the thing. Like, that's the cool thing. That's fire. I'm KKJ. Exactly. Fourth down. <laughs> <laughs> Johnson was rumored to have some strong thoughts on the commander's ownership. Now, I love this. What were those thoughts, and what was your reaction? So,
3: this is my version of reality TV. I love it. This is my real OCs season owners of the NFL. You get it.
2: Okay. Right? Yes.
3: I get where you're coming from. Thank you. I, I saw this drama, and I go, okay, let's dig in. Let's, <laughs> exactly. let, let's see what's going like what's on. What's happening next All week, right, and right, then Ben. What? What'd you talk about Ben? And Ben was like, look, man, these guys are a bunch of uh, basketball guys, these owners. So, then I had to look up, like, the, the Top four owners, and I'm like, yeah, he might be right. Josh Harris is a part of that group. He owns the, uh, or manages the 76ers and the New Jersey Devils. Who was a wrestler in college. You got Mitch Rails, who's just an art art collector and an investor, hella rich. You got Magic Johnson, who uh, has won titles with the Dodgers and the and the, the and in the WNBA. Then you have David Blitzer, who's also one of the co-managers of the 76ers and Devils. And I go, he ain't wrong, right? He ain't wrong. So they're super confident because these guys have had success. Rubbed in the wrong way. On the flip side, rumor has it that uh, Ben didn't interview well. He's not very aggressive when it comes to his personality. And the juiciest part of this whole thing, Instead of calling the Commander's Ownership Group and saying, you know what, guys, I'm going to decide to stay with the Detroit Lions. I appreciate the opportunity. He sends a text. (gasps) He is Michael Bump is in sixth grade. He is Michael Chow from uh, Tequila High School. Chinook Middle School. Sorry, sorry. Chinook Middle School. (laughs) Chinook Middle School. All right. He cowered out that situation now again I get, he was in a position of leverage because they wanted him but i would just assume that he would pick up the phone at least wow. and make the call
2: i want that to be true so badly yeah me too. I, I need it to be true because <laughs> it's also this is the best thing about reality tv and what a lot of people don't understand it's the thing that makes you talk to your friends about it after mm-hmm. so the conversation you're having right now in your head is uh well Is it right or wrong to send a text message when you're interviewing for this big job? The right thing to do when you're interviewing for a head coaching position Mm -hmm. and you're letting them know because you're their prime candidate is to give them a call. And Ben Johnson, you seem like a smart guy, but at 37 years old, you're too old to not know how to pick up a phone and and call. You
3: you keep the relationship, even if you didn't want the job, even if you felt that they were just basketball guys, you keep that relationship. Nice and kosher because you never know when an opportunity might pop up again.
2: Ooh, that is, that is that's spicy. I like this story. Yeah. This is my favorite story to come from this. You're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Let's learn a bit more about Leslie Frazier with Steve Tasker coming up next.
1: Bump and Stacy,
2: powered through the Alaska Airlines
1: Studios on Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost.
2: Joining us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline, Steve Tasker. We're going to learn a bit more about Leslie Frazier. Steve, how's it going?
0: Going great. Thanks for having me on.
2: We are so happy to have you on. Uh, Steve is host of One Bills Live on Buffalo's WGR, and you know plenty, obviously, uh, about the uh, the Bills and Frazier, former uh, defense coordinator for them. Uh, what can you tell us, I'll start, just about Leslie the person?
0: Well, he's, he's one of those guys that um, – great guy to have on the team. I, I, I really think he he's an outstanding individual first and foremost. He's, you know, in the first thing you find out about him, you read his bio, he's part of the 85 Bears team. And he's got all that history and he's been in the league for so long, got a wealth of knowledge, uh, just a wonderful dude. Uh, I think his players really liked him uh, as a coach. Uh, and he was, I, I think he was really, really uh, beloved by his players when he was here in Buffalo.
3: Hey Steve, what's his um? If I guess yeah, yeah. What's what's his scheme on defense? If Leslie had his defense, he wasn't like joining someone else's scheme, just front-wise. Because obviously the Hawks have moved to a um a, a thirty-four defense from a four-three. Um, at sixty-four years old, and, and Leslie being where he's been, I doubt there isn't a defense he can't coach. But do you know what, what he would prefer?
0: Uh, I don't know which one he would prefer. I know he's he's worked in all of them, particularly you know as a player, he's in the Chicago's. 80, uh, 46 defense, and uh, that was obviously a 3-4 set and had some unique uh, unique uh, aspects of it. I think I, I think he's coached in both schemes, no question about it. Here in Buffalo, they were running the 4-3 almost exclusively, and one of the things about his defense here in Buffalo was that most teams in the NFL really did their best to see what your personnel adjustments were going to be once they lined up in different personnel combinations, right? So you'd have people coming out in thirteen, all the way from thirteen personnel to twenty-two personnel to ten personnel, you know, with um, zero tight ends all the way to three tight ends, no running backs all the way to all the way to to uh, just one running back, so or to two running backs. So they tried everything here in Buffalo against Leslie's defenses. And the philosophy here in Buffalo when he was here was they wouldn't change their personnel for anything. They had a steady rotation on the defensive line. They ran eight guys throughout the, the game, rotated in and out religiously, series by series, or down by down, whichever they felt they needed to. And teams were really frustrated by the fact that they could not pry the Buffalo Bills defense out of their nickel package. And one of the reasons for that was they felt really good about their corners and their safeties, but also their nickelback, a guy named Taron Johnson here in Buffalo, was a feisty kid could cover and he was he was you know nasty in the run game he was very willing tackler and he was he would jump in the fray and you know teams would try their best to take advantage of that nickel defense but time and time again they always finished in the top five top three and including top couple top two in defense and yards given up and points given up so their philosophy here in buffalo was that they were going to run their personnel you had to adapt to that And they were pretty confident they could beat you with it.
3: Now, Steve, I know you're not, uh, Leslie Frazier himself, but what do you think he saw in this opportunity over here with Seattle? When you look at a 36 year old head coach and and the personnel that's already here,
0: I think he, I think he's invigorated by it. I don't think there's any question. He does. He doesn't walk around or coach like a a guy, you know, is 64. You know, he, he, he coaches young, uh, much younger than that. Um, you know, all these defensive coordinators who, you know, have been around for a long time will have, you know, stuff about them. That, like, for instance, if anytime you're a coordinator in the NFL, you're going to you're sign up for getting criticized. One of the criticisms of him here, here in Buffalo was he's a little too conservative, a little too soft at certain points of the game. He didn't go after people. Um, he's not a pressure-packed coach. He Turns his defenses loose and expects him to win, and, and in large measure they do. I mean, they they have really uh, come through for him. So, um, no, I don't. I think he's in, he's invigorated by the energy of the game. I think the head coach is going he's going to love having Leslie around. Plus, Leslie's got that calm, soft spoken demeanor that's going to is has a calming influence on those people around him. And I think that's one of the things that um, that you know this a plus about having him on the staff.
2: Steve, you know more about the Bills than, uh, than anyone I will have spoken with. You were a seven-time Pro Bowler, five-time All-Pro Special Teams players during the 80s and 90s. Obviously, you cover the team now. So you've seen a lot of iterations of this team. I've only ever color- covered uh, a Pete Carroll Seahawks team. and uh, And so what I'm curious to know from you is kind of, what the change was like from kind of a, an era of chaos in kind of like the mid-2000s to McDermott ushering in what feels like a new era. Uh, what's been kind of like the impetus behind some of that? I know he's still facing some criticism and there's still, obviously for this franchise, which is so easy to root for, like wanting to get to the top of the mountain, but oh my God, five consecutive double-digit win seasons. Like yeah. what's that transition been like?
0: Yeah, it was interesting because it almost happened overnight. They hired uh, Sean McDermott um, he had a draft with um, uh, one GM, and then they, then they got rid of that GM and got a new one, who was Brandon Bean. So uh, Sean took over the, the club, had one draft class, and immediately took the same core players that had, you know, that typified the entire drought era of the Buffalo Bills, 17 years without a playoff um, appearance. Same roster, same core guys, and got him to the playoff his first year as head coach. And in, and indeed, right at the beginning of the year, they had traded away a couple of key players, and immediately they were accused of tanking. Right, they were going to tank. They were trying to get set up for future. And he took that roster that people accused him of tanking after they made those trades, and took him to the playoffs. Immediately, him and the staff he he uh, um, assembled. And Leslie Frazier was a big part of that immediately they went right to the playoffs and they started getting more out of less uh, and that has typified the entire culture that he is that he has built here. Um, they take care of their players uh, players will tell you it's a great place to be a part of, a lot of energy in the building and when you come to Buffalo, you can count on the fact that you're going to be better when you leave than you were when you appeared, when you got here. Um, They are a very good developmental coaching staff. uh, And it has proven to be true uh, player after player, year after year. So it's been, uh, I think that's one of the things that has typified McDermott in in the transformation of this being a a franchise that couldn't even get to the playoffs for almost two decades to one that's winning double-digit games and winning playoff games every year.
3: Hey, Steve, I love that um, you described Buffalo as a, a place of development, especially while Frazier has been there. Is there an example of somebody that you can think of on that roster that um, wasn't expected to do much but got into the right situation, got the right coaching by McDermott and Frazier and everybody else, and is now a contributor?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, usually at all-pro linebacker, Matt Milano, uh, he shows up as a fifth-round draft pick from Boston College. And, you know, and. You know, who is, you know, no, you know, it's like a regular fifth round draft pick. Nobody knows who you are, right? I mean, they have to get to know you once you show up, right? Milano shows up, fifth rounder, and Presto Changeo, um, he's all pro. They've signed him to a second contract. Another one, last year when Leslie Frazier was on this staff, he uh, uh, they drafted uh, Christian Benford, and Presto Changeo, Christian Benford comes in as a sixth round draft pick and beats out a number one draft pick at the same position at cornerback uh, on opening day, Christian Benford was a starting cornerback on an NFL team uh, as a sixth round draft pick out of Villanova. Um, they, and that's part of the culture that the Sean McDermott has made. If you earn it, you get it. That doesn't mean if you're a first round draft pick, you still have to earn it. And certainly um, playing a sixth round draft pick over a, a top 25 pick or a top 30 pick in the draft uh, proves that that's your that you're going to live by that. So uh, guys like that have been huge. Uh, of course, too. Then there have been other guys that he came in. Uh, they draft. They at first off season that McDermott took over. They signed two safeties that were nobody knew who they were. Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer. They come in. They're nice, you know. Okay. And under Leslie Frazier, those two guys for over for seven or eight years now have been the top safety tandem in the national football league. Um, Every head coach you talk to every quarterback that you talk to looks at, and they'll tell you those two safeties are impossible to get a read on. They just make it so difficult to beat that defense. So all that stuff, those are some of the players that Leslie has had a hand in developing. There have been other high round draft picks, uh, Tremaine Edmonds, who's now making fifteen million dollars a year as middle linebacker of the Bears, a uh, huge physical freak, but also maximized it under Leslie Frazier. Uh, you got other guys as well, uh, guys like Jordan Phillips, who's a big defensive tackle, kind of struggled to find his way. You know, he, was, he got as a second round high draft pick by the Miami Dolphins, wasn't getting on the field. He comes to Buffalo has an enormously enormous resurgence to his career under Leslie Frazier, leaves on a huge free agent contract, is gone for one or two years, and comes straight back to Buffalo to be a part of this organization, is still here. Um, same thing uh, has happened to other places where they've gone other places or and come back to be a part of the culture. So Leslie Frazier was a big part of
2: that. Great stuff, as was expected, from Steve Tasker, kind enough to join us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Steve, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks, Steve. My pleasure. Thanks for having
1: me.
2: All right, you're listening to Bump and Stacey on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Really fascinating to hear not just about uh, Coach Frazier, but about the transition to McDermott. And I always love hearing people when they're like, yeah, we looked at these two safeties like, "Ah, what are you going to do here? You know what I mean? When you go back and you look Mm -hmm. like, have you ever looked at, um, I watched like Cam Chancellor make a special teams tackle, but from, play-by-play uh, play of that game. And yeah. it's like, it's uh, Cam Chancellor. Chancellor. Oh,
3: this guy has a chance. Yeah, Maybe. playing yeah. for depth
2: here. It's always so <laughs> fun to look back at those yeah, games. Yeah, awesome. What I need to know coming your way next, get your questions in 866-979-3776. Bump and Stacy, powered through the Alaska Airlines studios on Seattle sports station. Here
1: are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross.
2: It's What I Need to Know, brought to you by All Red Heating, Cooling, Electric. Get your questions into the Mac and Jacks text line, 866 979 3776. What I need to know, are we going to have to wait until July or early August again this year before the Mariners get hot and try to make a playoff push? Or do we get hot earlier this year? I'm hoping the latter so we can clinch with a few weeks of the season left?
3: Um, With all of these new pieces and waiting to see if they can stay healthy and try to figure each other out, like, how are you going to work the bullpen with Santos there? um, It is... Is our guy Jorge at second base gonna gonna hit the ground running? Is is Luke gonna be the power hitter that I think there are so many questions that you just have to be patient. I don't I, think you can expect him to come out that's hot.
2: That's such a good point though. Like you've got guys that have dealt with injuries. You've got guys that are new to the team, new to the city. It lends itself to giving 90 wins as yeah. opposed to 95 or 100 mm-hmm. which would allow you to clinch much earlier like it's it it, it, lends, itself <laughs> it to, lends itself to the same kind of season you had in 2022 like you're in the fight you're in the fight yeah. and uh and that's just kind of the roster you have like you might have to be like hanniger's gone for two months but he gets back in september let's mm-hmm. see if we can get this thing done yep that's the kind of season this feels yep. like what i need to know Um, Have you watched Squid Games? The Korean one, not the reality show, even though that was good, too. Nah,
3: there's a Korean one out?
2: No, I think they mean, like, the original Squid Games. Oh, the original? Yeah, Yeah, so the show, not the the reality show. It's really good. It was really dark. The
3: new one's supposed to uh, hit the streets pretty soon.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that.
3: Sometime in the next, like, four or five months. That's
2: very exciting. You know what else comes back? Love is Blind.
3: Hey, the Australian version Day, right? is on right now, ain't it? There's an Australian version? Yeah, I was on uh, Netflix last night and saw Love wow. is Blind new episode. I think it's Australia.
2: What I need to know, did you ever start a nickname? Do you have a nickname you tried to start for yourself, but it <laughs> didn't stick? No. I wanted Mike McDonald to be Mike Mack.
3: No, you don't give yourself nicknames. nickname. But have That's, you ever tried? No. no.
2: Have you ever introduced yourself as something, not your name, hoping that it would stick?
3: No, Me that neither. is the corniest thing ever. I think, yeah, think Stacey's done
2: that. No, I haven't done that. <laughs>
3: Every man in my family <laughs> is known as Bump. Every man. Like, we no, go bet, to family yeah. reviews, hey, Bump! Like, 10 of us turn around, like, whoa, huh? whoa, 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 whoa. What's whoa. going on? Yeah, specify which bum. Didn't Stacy? You tried to switch
1: out the Y for an I? In <laughs> much, your like, name? much like much yeah. like Diddy, I
2: have reinvented my name quite a bit. Uh, when I was younger, I tried to make it Stacy with an I, uh, and then I tried to go by Anastasia oh because I thought it was God. cooler than Stacy. It's not easy being a Stacy. So, so it's like being an Ashley. principal you know? calls
3: you up like Stacy. This is not your name.
2: And it, excuse me, it's Anastasia. <laughs> Thank you so much. Like I told people, this is in like sixth or seventh grade. Like I told people that was my name. Oh. I was like Stacy's short. For Anastasia Actually my mom Was probably like What <laughs> No it's not <laughs> No it's not <laughs> Psycho Yeah I'm just I'm big into like A reinvention era I like You know that. you should yeah. be Allowed you to do Yeah you gotta be hey, creative Prince did
3: it You know You know what I'm saying
2: symbol. Yeah What I need to know I like this question I saved it It's actually from Friday What I need to know, in y'all's opinion, if Mike McDonald comes in and absolutely crushes in his first year, think winning double-digit games, playoff berth, winning a playoff game, whatever, with roughly the same roster, give or take a few free agents or draft picks, does it do anything to affect Pete Carroll's legacy or make his last few seasons look worse?
3: I don't think it affects his legacy. I think in this moment, people are going to tear it apart and pick it apart, but after a few years, it ain't going to mean nothing. Um... Yeah, but it just shows that um, – I think it just reveals that that group wasn't able to connect with Pete Carroll and his staff. Uh, but I think his legacy is intact. This I, dude is one of the few to win a national championship in college yeah. football and a Super Bowl. Winning one of the winningest programs in the last 10, 12 years in the league. I think he's good. I'll
2: flip it. Um, it's different because you had the quarterback that departed like it would never be the same but do you think bill belichick's legacy was impacted by his final seasons i don't without think so
3: tom? i think the same thing like right now we're going to talk about it but end of the day what would tom be without um bill belichick now i know he goes over with arians uh, arians and arians arias how do you say his name
2: arians. Bruce arians arians,
3: arians. and goes out there and wins a super bowl but that's one could yeah. you have done it Six more times.
2: That's true. And I think because he did it once, people think, of course he could have. Yeah. He's Tom Brady. And it's like, well, a lot of other great quarterbacks mm-hmm. played in the league. Uh, what I need to know, do you think people who drink alcohol get different treatment at a bar than people who don't?
3: For sure. Because if you're drinking alcohol, that tip is going to be a bit more better because them drinks cost a bit more. If you're not drinking, one, people just think that you're a snitch or a narc or something anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you get different treatment.
2: Oh, yeah. no. My sister's name's Stacy. My mother did want to name her Anastasia, but my dad said, heck no, I'm not naming my kid anything I can't spell. He's from Alabama. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no.
3: Don't do that to Bama Don't folks. Don't do that.
2: Uh, what I need to know. Um, have you guys ever been addicted to a phone game, like to the point where it's interfering with your responsibilities? If so, what game? No. It sounds like Snake someone asking back in the day, for an addiction. That's about
3: it. Candy crush? Yeah. That's, that's Man, people big big really game. get addicted to that candy crush. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. I've never played it. i never played it
2: either. Uh, let's see. Uh, someone said, check out Farmer Wants a Wife. Um, what uh, What I need to know, where do you three land on the topic of splitting the bill at a group dinner? I think someone just gets it.
3: Oh, you... you. Uh,
2: well, it, depends. Depends. it depends. How many people depends. are there? Yeah. Okay, yeah I'm so
3: not getting a bill for 20 people when no. I know five of y'all.
2: No. This is the rule that I think. If it's a large, large event gathering, it's... Um, I, I've i done separate checks with that And I know it drives them crazy But mm-hmm. usually there's a, a special room That you're booking for that And there's like one waiter or waitress Or whatever mm-hmm. that's assigned to that So I know that they have to split it up And it's annoying But that's typically like their big table They're watching yep. If it's two couples, three couples You pay as couples Yeah. A group of between five and eight Just have one person pick it up
3: one person pick it up in Venmo, Cash Apple and you'll be good. Yep,
2: yep. Yeah. All right, you guys, that'll do it for us today. For Michael Bumpus, uh, Curtis Nelson, and Brady Robich. Brady, is that your last name? Robus. Ro- ro- Robic. Robic. I got it. I did it for Brady. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Stacy Ross. Don't go anywhere. Wyman and Bob coming up next.